Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology. Okay, friends, welcome back to another Performance Matters podcast series. We are so appreciative that you give a listen. Hope these are being helpful. I am honored to be joined today, as I have been in the past, by one of my heroes in life and, and dear friend. I know gentlemen who many of you who listen admire greatly, Dr. Con Gofferson. Con, it's good to have you back in one of these again. As always, these are wonderful conversations that we're able to have, Bob. <laughs> it really is. What yeah. a great medium. I'm, you know, it's, it's, you know, this yeah. is our 76th now podcast and been listened around the world and tens of thousands of times. It's really wonderful. And more importantly, what it's been great about is as we do reach out to all of you and meet you in different ways, conferences and otherwise, it's nice to hear feedback and that these spur a conversation and some ideas. We have one today we want yeah, to run at. <laughs> you're, you're probably in here because the title probably intrigued you. But we're going to run it, run it this a bit and kind of it stemmed from a very recent interaction with a colleague and client who was running headlong into training. We talk about the training mindset, the performance mindset shift all the time. And this wonderful, courageous learning professional and who's done great work, by the way, been at this for longer, right? Longer than most. Really been at this for longer than most is in a, a leadership position. And they got this line when trying to say, we probably shouldn't do an exhaustive training program only. And the pushback was, well, it worked for me. <laughs> it, it worked for me. Look at me. I'm, I'm 20 years into my career. I'm successful. I've made a great living. And I remember this course when I first started here 20 years ago. And darn it, I have fond memories. And it worked for me. And he kind of felt like, as he pushed back, he kind of felt like he was calling this guy's baby ugly. Because <laughs> because clearly this individual had a passion for and an emotional memory bond to this experience in this classroom. And it really kind of set this person back. Where, where does that come from, Con? I mean, what, what's your feeling around that it worked for me thing? Well, training is social, right? <laughs> it has been for a long time, at least classroom training, instructor-led training. And we know from the history that that's all about bonding and experience and laughing and lots of things. And so you have, we all have great memories of great training experiences. The question is, what did it bring us and where did it take us? And that's the real question. And another question is, is all training equal in its impact and its ability to do what needs to be done? Right. So you can have a great memories, great experience, you know, getting away, going somewhere, doing those things. We have all of that, you know, in our experience base. But that doesn't mean that we were enabled with the capacity to do the work that we need to do. And that whatever we learned stuck with us and that we were able to transfer at all to our work without any kind of challenge and that we were able to then adapt and to adjust in the flow of work from that. Most 
most people who are making that statement have a heck of a lot of experience under their belt. Yep. You know, tied to that back to that initiating experience where they are today had little to nothing to do with that experience, except it's a fond memory. I love the language you're using, though, Con, because I, th- I think it's defendable, right? It, it initiated the journey. Yeah. And in, in, in its defense, they, I'm sure they took away stuff. It wasn't only a, a great time and an and a entertaining trainer. So we're, we're not saying that. Yeah, I think you coined it perfectly. We juxtapose on the journey and exacerbate the impact of the event on the power of experience between it and now. And that and you're right, that person casts on that triggering event as what got them there 20 years later, when in reality, it really didn't experience what got them there. And sure, those four days, those whatever they were, started that journey. Yeah. But it did not. It was not what got them there in its entirety. Yeah. To assume at the end of that event that I am competent in my job, that I am proficient, that I have all that I need. We know that that is not true, that that is nowhere close to reality, because we know that it takes much more time for people to become proficient, fully proficient in their work. It takes experience. It takes time. And frankly, the time to proficiency, the time from that initiating training experience to where I am proficient on the job, we know takes at least twice as long as it should be taking. And so it's a myopic position to take. But then when we try to talk about it, it is like we're saying the baby was ugly and it it wasn't. I do want to say that sometimes the baby's uglier. Some babies are <laughs> uglier than other other babies, you know. And like I said, all training is not equal in terms of its instructional integrity, in terms of the return on instruction that you get from it. I just took an e-learning course. There was absolutely no return on that instructional time. None. I got it done. It was a compliance course. Yep. I finished it. But if you ask me to be competent and what I learned from it, I can't tell you. I was all about jumping through those hoops so that I could get on to the things that really matter in my life because it was just simply something that had to be done. But the instructional integrity of that, there was little to no return on instruction. Right. So let's draw some parallels here and see if we can we can dissect this a bit for those listening, because the frustration in this individual was championing a different discussion. And you could tell they really felt like they really were just like running up against a wall. Right. And so so a couple of things, Con, you know, they, they, they did forget that probably the day or two after they forgot half or more that they probably spent time bothering neighbors and friends who knew what they were doing so that they could get and get their sure. job done. They probably struggled and made mistakes that might have been embarrassing or hurtful or hard, you know, which they learned through hard knocks that they came back. And that's the resiliency of experiential learning. But unfortunately, it's a dangerous pool to swim in because the consequence of that as a strategy can be catastrophic, right? Yeah. So so how do we talk to that individual, Con? Because the problem is, and I've seen it, is that if you push back too hard, or if you do appear to be calling someone's baby ugly, they're going to shut down. You aren't going to get yeah. an iota of, of support. They'll nod and smile. 
or whatever, but you've lost them. Yeah. How do we how do we enter that narrative, begin to turn it around, honor what they're feeling? It's, it, and it's really, frankly, more feeling than anything, but get them to where we have permission to try this. Yeah, well, I think worst place to start is saying that we need to change the classroom. Mm. I think that a better place to start is saying, here's some some additional capability that we need to address in the flow of work. For example, we want to be able to rapidly close skill gaps that happen as, as people are working. At any point, if a person has a skill gap, if they've forgotten or if they can't perform it properly or whatever, we want to rapidly close that skill gap. We want to ensure that people become as fully proficient, fully functioning, you know, not functioning part way. If people are leaving their job in 18 months and it's taking 18 months to get them to the point of where they're fully productive, that's not good. So we want to get them productive in their work faster. So if we start to target, one of the things that I target is the whole issue of growing an experience, developing expertise, that we want to intentionally accelerate how we get people to where they need to be to. That doesn't mean that the classroom isn't an important first phase of that, but there's more that we need to do, growth and development and progress. Maybe we need to change the conversation so it's not about training stinks, which sometimes it does. The baby is ugly, but <laughs> ugly babies can become very handsome and, and beautiful human beings. We, we had a son that when he was born, both my wife and I went independently to the our doctor and asked if he was all right. We didn't understand <laughs> how how babies are structured so that they can come into this world. You know, he assured us that over time <laughs> he was going to be a handsome human being, and uh, that was good for us. So we've got to play sweeter music and talk about the whole growth and development process, right. certainly, and then we can step back. And actually say, look, we want to make sure that we mitigate risk. Mm. You know, with the analysis that we've done, half of the skills here, the consequence of failure is significant to catastrophic. So we can't afford to not have this class, the training that we do, uh, not be instructionally sound. So how do we make sure that we're watching that and doing that? Those are conversations that we can have with key stakeholders, and I think they'll get it. I think we can talk about the fact that, and I think everyone can relate to this, kind of that who after any class they've ever taken hasn't struggled, yeah. hasn't, hasn't forgotten things, hasn't failed when they tried thinking they knew what they were doing, and say, look, that's where we need to, to your point, mitigate the risk. Yeah. And so let's look at this course so that it optimizes the rare time we get with people on-premise or virtually, and more importantly, mitigates as best we can that after experience that we all go through so that in the end they can perform perform well. Yeah. I mean, you've talked before, Khan, about the dialogue about why are we doing this in the first place? You know, before we even talk about how long the course is, and let's say it's one that exists already and it's five days, whatever long, getting back to, you know, what are the outcomes? What are the intent? Sure, sure. I think it's vital. Our experience is with key stakeholders. If you can sit down and they have a request, they come in, they say, training's not working, or I need a new training course. 
we have found that if we can step back and say, okay, let's talk about that. What are the challenges that are driving? Or what are the things that are going on that are telling you that it's not working? Where are the pain points? If we can identify challenges or opportunities and or opportunities and get to that level and then say, we always go from there to with those challenges and opportunities, what are the measurable impact that you want to have? Well, that then takes us beyond the classroom, right? Right. Uh, the impact and what do we need to do? And then you can have a conversation. Okay, we want to have that impact. So this is how we go about it. That that can help us shift from a training mindset to a performance mindset. You know, I think also I am always taken back by the transformation that happens during an RWA. Oh. You know, and so what if... Again, let's play the scenario of it being a long-standing course, a sacred cow that's, you know, and we're just going to rerun it, reload it next year. We're just going to, okay, fine. Climbing that mountain is going to be tough. But what if we said this, look, we got a two-day exercise, two-and-a-half-day, three-day top exercise. It's been a while since we've really looked at this course. We reload it. We redo it every year. A lot of change in the world that kind of thing. Obviously, any organization would agree that this year is not the same as last. Next year won't be the same as this. What if we went through an exercise to just examine the outline, the current outline? So let's go through this exercise where we'll look at that. We'll start, you know, we can have that and start with that. And let's just talk through the work. I think what would come out of that is that, at least I've seen, that somewhere during that conversation, it becomes anything but about a course. Yeah. Right. And I think that may help crack some of the code of, wow, if we're really first of all, the course didn't align as much as I thought to what we really what we really do every day. And secondly, maybe the course alone. And I always like to say alone may not be enough to cover all this or be sure that people do it well or don't struggle. Yeah, I wonder, too, Bob, if we can step back sometimes with these stakeholders and say, We want to make sure that coming out of this course, those who take it have all the skills they need to do their work. You remember the time in which we were working with Department of Defense organization, and they had a course, a five-day training course, and we stepped back. We actually did rapid workflow analysis where we identified the tasks and supporting knowledge. Those are the skills. What are the, the actual job tasks? And they had missed 30% of the tasks that were critical, significant, you know, to catastrophic impact of failure. They had one that threatened national security and loss of life that was nowhere in the course. It was dealt nowhere in the course. And that's because the course had been developed outside of looking at what are the skills, what is the performance that people need to do. And they're uh, sitting down with, you know, once we're through with that analysis with a key stakeholder and say, look, these are all of the skills that they need to have to do their job. And these are the ones where the critical impact of failure that we've identified where the critical impact of failure is significant to catastrophic. And if it's if there's an existing course to even show a comparison sometimes might be helpful. These are what were missed and we need to. Fold this in. We need to restructure this. Rapid workflow analysis certainly helps us get to the workflow, 
but it also helps us turn training into what it needs to be. It does. It you does. Know? And it'd be interesting. I think if, if you're sitting there facing a 20-year veteran, right, in the job who, you know, it worked for me, maybe part of the conversation, too, is that we'd love to capture that journey. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. took this 20 years ago. Obviously, you're accomplished at what you do. We'd love to take you through an exercise to see how all you've learned and the success you've had maps to that course since you took it. We both know there's going to be a significant discrepancy between that workflow that that person's experiencing and that course they sat through. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I wonder, too, I've used this analogy before, and I just have a blog article that's coming out where the difference between mastery and being truly experienced in the work, proficient in the work. And so for me, the best analogy that I've shared is I had a heart valve replaced four years ago. And when I was going to have somebody stop my heart, remove my heart valve and put another bovine valve on and restart my heart and make sure that I am able to live and function going forward, I didn't want somebody that just completed a class. If my surgeon said, I just finished the course on that, Con, and so uh, I'm I'm here, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm going, no, 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 no. I want somebody who has done this again and again and again, who has the experience of variety of challenges in all of that, so that that experience and that team when I interviewed the surgeon that was going to do that, my question was, okay, how many times have you done this? How many yep. times have you done this with a team? And what is your success rate, success pattern? That was important, but I wanted experience. Yep. You know, I did not want somebody that just was fresh off of a class. And that somehow that may help. That's an example of how we need to shift the view from where people are at the end of training to where they need to be. And back to a point you made earlier, Con, mitigating risk, right? So if you sit there as a 20-year professional and you're demanding this course that worked for you, we're assuming that's for others. You're not taking it. I mean, that's for others. Would another argument be, it took you 20 years to get here. Yeah. Shouldn't we responsibly figure out a way and you, you think back, you had hard knocks, you had bumps and, and dips. Shouldn't we come up with a way to mitigate that and make the event that will still occur optimized and, and probably more importantly, the experience that will follow better, effective, efficient, right? Yeah. Those kinds of things. I wonder too, Bob, if in our digital coach design, if we're missing something really important which is within that digital coach to begin to capture that experience. Mm -hmm. Lessons learned, you know, experiences of those key stakeholders even and of others so that they see the digital coach as not being something that is supposed to replace training, but something that is going to capture the intellectual capital and the experience of their teams and make that available to others. Maybe we need to position the digital coach in a a broader way than we've been doing. Well, on the last levels, people, right? Of the pyramid. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Why can't we have that be more what you just said? Yeah. People are a resource and their intellectual capital is that. What yeah. if we captured that better at that level, not just make people available or give them a number to call or a coach? And that's still there. But what if we did a better job at that level of the pyramid, mining, recording, archiving experiences yeah. and best practices? So Con, let's kind of end with this. We want to keep coming back to this. And I think it gets lost. There are five moments of need. There are. Right. There are five. I, there are five moments of learning need. I mean, it's all about learning and, in all five of those moments. And two of them, defendably, are met well with training. Oh, yeah. I think that's missed in the dialogue with how committed we get to the power of a digital coach and the importance of the moment of apply. We get myopic sometimes because we've learned and seen the power of that. But when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know that and all they've known is that class. Yeah. Well, we have to honor that in a way, but at the same time, help them see that sitting where they're sitting, it really wasn't enough. And at the same time, we need to have some level of appreciation for the fact that we're asking them to go to a place that they've never been. Been before. Correct. Been before. And so there's feelings of discomfort and Really, sometimes their pushback is tied to their fears about things that don't really exist. Correct. And you're right, Con. They don't they don't know anything else. They do remember or they've or they've or they've suppressed the terror, the failure, the the anxiousness, the frustration. And so they're like, just teach the course. You know, I remember the course. I have fond memories of the course. Obviously, a course helps. It has to. And without it, what have we got? And, yeah. and I think that's the power of understanding what the digital coach is, showing them, having examples, collecting data and metrics around the effectiveness of them once you use them. Because you are right. We're asking them to boldly go where they've not gone before. Yeah. And calling their baby ugly puts them off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as always, friends, thank you for your insight. It's spectacular. Uh, We'd love to hear what others think, the journey you've been on, the experiences you've had, because we do know that all five moments, meeting all five moments, instruction included, is what ultimately helps us get people to perform, right? Yep. Thanks, Bob. You as well, friend. Thanks. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle, at B-M-O-S-H, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.